You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the football grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Hey Grump, what's going on? What's uh, what's new? Yeah, we're a day late, but not a dollar short. Day late. Well, <laughs> actually we kind of am since we had no sponsors. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good point. But, yeah. you know, uh, held back just so I could have everything that I needed to make this episode as good as I could make it. So, um, you're welcome, I guess. Um... <laughs> But we do have some Giants news before we get into, you know, the theme of these string of podcast episodes here of going over the draft and free agents and stuff. Um, two Giants have moved on. Um, first, Will Hernandez went to Arizona, where I believe he's being reunited with his college offensive line coach or something. Um, yeah, and apparently uh, Grump, you know, he's the reason for all the ills of uh, of the Giants and also... He could be a re- – what was the thing we saw today on Twitter that was pretty hilarious? Somebody making the jump that uh, the uh, the Cardinal uh, – I don't know if he was a beat writer or what he was saying. This like he'll have the fountain of youth who's the Arizona because look what happened when guys leave the Giants. Yeah, like, it was like the stupidest tweet of all time. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know why Arizona beat reporters are, are acting like this signing has to be something more than what it is. I mean, it, it like was not a priority for us to re-sign, and we have no offensive linemen. So, I mean, right, it should say everything. Right um, and, and, and I like Will Hernandez, and I think that, you know, he's actually not that bad. I think he's a fringe starter. Um, I don't. I don't think he's terrible. If he's the if he's the worst offensive lineman you have as a starter, that's not so bad. Um, but that being said, there's no reason to defend the signing as if it's something much much more than a depth signing or or that he's going to be like. Every Arizona beat writer was like all over this. They're posting videos from his combine in 2018 bench pressing. I mean, if you don't have any actual football highlights, that's usually the kind of thing that you post. So, I mean, that's pretty sad. But the, the tweet in question was something like, um, it, it, apparently the were, they were unconnected so facts. Leaves yeah, it was, it was that Eric Flowers had his career highs when he left and that nobody runs into more sacks than Daniel Jones, which apparently are two completely unrelated facts. And the related thing is that there's something mystical about this area since – um, Will Hernandez's best year was actually the same year that same coaching staff that traded Eric Flowers away. So, I mean, none of it makes any sense whatsoever. Um, I tried to, you know, go easy on him and just point out that Flowers and Jones never actually played together. Um, he decided to double down. Shot. Yeah, he decided to double down on something stupid. There's statistical evidence that Kyler Murray runs into more sacks than Daniel Jones. So <laughs> all of it was stupid, and all of it is to defend a signing that's not a bad signing for Arizona. It's just no reason to hype the guy up for something he's not. Yeah, I mean, it was you know, it was disappointing that you know he never progressed to the next level. We had we had pretty high hopes for him, and he. he well, his best years are his first couple of years with the Giants, and uh, part of that might be a, just a victim of circumstance too with this team. But um, 
You're right. For a team that is that starved for offensive linemen, and what did it even sign for with Arizona? How much? I don't know if the contract details came out because I don't know that I saw any. Well, that's what he didn't break the bank over there. And if it's a lineman that's not going to break the bank, you know, and we're not interested, that tells you something. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Similarly, but slightly differently, Jabril Pepper signed a one year deal with the New England Patriots where he will be reunited with Joe Judge. Um, And he'll play for a head coach that, quite frankly, really is good at using guys creatively into their athleticism. Um, mm-hmm. I could see him having a huge year there. That contract has incentives that will push him up into the $5 million range, so it's going to be very dependent on his injury. But he was injured pretty early on in the year last year, so he's had some time to recover. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a, a killer year up in New England. Does that close the book officially on the trade now that he's gone? Is anybody left on their original teams after the trade? Um, well, technically, I think Dexter Lawrence and O'Shane Ziminis were the draft picks that were uh, involved in the trade. Okay. So, so, if I'm remembering right, yeah, I think you're right. So, you know, it's too bad with the injury. I mean, if he wasn't injured, no, I, I, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, he would be such a good fit. In the system, I think they would have liked him back. I think it was always a long shot. It was always inevitable. I mean, I was surprised that Joe Shane was able to keep guys like Sterling Shepard and Blake Martinez, but those were cap. Um, that was that was reducing cap hits. Jabril Peppers was currently not on the books, so he would have been an added expense. Well, so, that's what I mean, I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, would we even afford it? Could could we have afforded him anyway? Even if let's say there was no injury and he was on the open market, I'm sure. It, I'm sure they could have done something. You know what I mean? Like, I, I still don't know that Sterling Shepard is, like, a massive need that he needed to stay that they couldn't cut. I think that one actually ended up saving more money. But even Blake Martinez is one where that could have been, like, a full cut for maybe uh, mm-hmm. more savings and Jabril Peppers might have been a better move. I, I don't know. But I don't think that it was so, – it's not like Jabril Peppers is, like, we're doing this to make the room to re-sign a guy that's coming off of a career year. We're, signing a guy who's coming off of an injury. So doing all of these financial gymnastics to make it work is kind of stupid anyway. Yeah, I, but also I'm saying my point was if he wasn't hurt, would we be even able to afford No, him? no way. No that, way. that was my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although I think he'd still be eligible for the franchise tag, um, which would... Uh, you know what? That would be really expensive, actually, because yeah, the, the no top kidding. five... For safeties, yeah. I mean, it depends on the position how expensive that is. Mm -hmm. Um, whatever. Uh, so that sucks, but good good luck to him. You know, a guy I've I've rooted for since out of college. Um, Mm -hmm. so whatever. Um, we also had the coaches' meetings. Um, this week, which means that next Monday, the Giants' offseason workouts can begin. So by the time you hear us next time, the Giants will have already been with Coach Dable. Um, which is pretty cool. Um, the coaches' meeting uh, involves the proposed rule changes, and there were two that I know of that were changed. Let's get into the overtime rule change here. Why don't you give me your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's one of the things I've griped about with the NFL for the longest time, and we are just about there. Uh, it was ridiculous that football, the NFL, is the only sport in the only league where each team doesn't have an equal opportunity to score in extra time and you know they've 
incrementally, very slowly have gotten to the point where it's more and more fair. Now we're almost there. You know, now it, it, this is for postseason only. The next step and final step will be to implement this for the regular season, and that will happen. That will that will definitely come at some point. These things, they gain momentum. You know, they'll test drive it in the the postseason. Eventually, will be part of the regular season. Um, I. I've always thought it was incredibly unfair. And that's all we're trying to do with this thing is they're just trying to make this as fair as possible. You know, I had an argument with somebody today that was like, well, now it, it, it it's so much of an advantage of the team that wins the coin toss because they know what the, you know, the team that gets the ball seconds. Now they know what to do. And well, that's a secondary concern of mine. You know, wait, wait, wait. I don't understand that argument. Right. It's ridiculous. It's like, well, if you get the ball second, you know what you have to do. So if the, the first team, you know, gets a, a touchdown, now you know you can get a touchdown and two-point conversion and win. Or they go for two the first team and does it. It's, it's, a, it's a gymnastic it's a, argument. Yeah, it's, it's a no risk sense. either way. I don't think Exactly. Really you still have to do it. Yeah. You know? And to me, what they're trying to do, the purpose of the rule change is to make it fair so both teams have a chance. That's the wrong they're trying to right. You know, if there's a, okay, well, when the second team has it, they have an advantage at the end. You know, if because of a coin flip, that, that that's like, that's some 3D complaining is what all that is. I mean, if you want to get rid of coin tosses out of the mix altogether, I mean, I have a proposal that I don't know what you think about this, but make it like baseball and make it a true home field advantage that the away team always gets the ball first and then the home team gets the ball second yeah i mean i don't i don't think there's any problem with that other than now we have an uneven amount of games that's true but i'm thinking more about the postseason actually oh okay you know like you know it, it just it, it's the schedule is a little bit random well Random in the fact that you, if you're playing, if the Giants are playing the Dolphins this year and it happens to be in Miami, it's a little bit of randomness in that way as opposed to can being in, in, you know, the Meadowlands. But to me, I'm thinking more of the advantage that's earned is in the Right. You're, you're thinking on the merits. Exactly. So yeah. if you. I'm, I mean, I'm you with get, that, honestly. You get I, home field, the home field advantage is important, but crowds aren't the same as they were 20, 30 years ago. I mean. With StubHub, with Ticketmaster, with Ticket Exchange, with the prices being so expensive, you don't have that 100% fans in the stands for your team anymore. So it's not exactly the same as the way it used to be. And to me, that's a real advantage of, you know, not taking off in week 16. You know, playing your guys to ensure you get the highest ranking po- seating possible. And I, I just think that's another way to make home field advantage happen. I like that, but I think it, instead of just you always get the ball in the second half is you get to choose. Home team just gets to choose whether they want the ball first or second. Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, like, I, I mean, what if I have an opponent that I want to score first on? That's my strategy. I don't know. I don't want to be – just because I'm home, I'm fucked now. My home field advantage is the opposite. So <laughs> I, 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 I like where you're headed, though. I think that's fair. I, I mean, a coin toss is silly. I mean, it's supposed yeah. to be just completely random, but why and- should the playoffs be random? And I completely hate the argument that says, well, you should stop them on defense if you want to win. Don't let them score a touchdown first. It's like, 
this league is an offensive league. The, the rules are set up for offenses, not for defenses. And at the end of games, the defenses are the teams that are worn down, not the yeah. offenses. So they're at a completely disadvantage. I mean, why do you think every time you win a coin toss in overtime, you always take the ball first? It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not nobody has this strategy. Well, my defense is so superior to their offense. I'm going to stop them on three, you know, on three plays and get excellent field position to win with a field goal. No. You want the ball first because you want to, you know, you have an advantage and you can get that touchdown and win the game game over. So that, that that's no argument why to keep the old way that it was. I mean, that, it, I agree. It's no argument to keep it the way it was. My argument that I've always said that is um, that is the way the rules are. So you should construct your roster to stop people. Um you know what I mean? Like as long as those are the rules, then you need to invest enough in your defense to know that you might need to make a stop on an overtime. I don't. I don't know. Right. That's just the way I. I but again, the, I, I, I don't guess know. The, the, the rules are skewed towards offense. They are, and and it's been slowly chipping away at the defense over the years. So it it makes sense that other rules need to catch up. I mean, to be fair, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we've we've made these rules. They were all kind of under the guise of safety. You know what I mean? Like not hitting the quarterback as much. Now there's no late set hits at all, and then defenseless receivers and all this stuff. And they've been slowly chipping away in the in the name of player safety. But really, they've made it harder and harder for defenses to be effective. Um, and so we've seen these point totals go up, and the other rules haven't caught up to even the playing and, field a little bit. And in every single sport, in every single league besides the NFL, both teams have an opportunity to win the game by scoring. You know, baseball, you know, both teams are up. Uh, you know, basketball, overtime, you keep playing. Hockey, same thing. They, You know, soccer, you have an extra period if it's, you know, we're playing in a a playoff or playing in like Champions League or or the World Cup or something in knockout rounds. It's it's just silly that, you know, you're only playing half the half your team and half your game. So I'm glad they finally have figured this out. Well, do you think it's dumb that it's not for the regular season? Um, I would prefer for the regular season, too. But there are, you know, there are some rules that have changes in postseason I mean there are no ties in the postseason if you know if you play I don't think there should be ties at all I I, I don't think there should ever should be ties I mean it's not like I mean there are ties. there's not enough games for there to be ties exactly I mean, the, hockey no is a little different well hockey and soccer are different because there's a point system right like and you, that makes sense you're in first place because you have more points you know three points for a a win and one for a tie in soccer, two and one in hockey. But there are no points. So if there's no points, there's no point in having a tie. It just and makes also, the playoff scenarios like interesting, but really that just means confusing as hell and stupid. Right. And I don't want to hear the argument about, oh, these games will go on for, you know, seven hours. I mean, come on. That that's the baseball argument of like, I don't want these sixteen inning games. First of all, it never happens. Happens like second of all. Second of all, the football. There's so few games. They all are important. So if one is pretty long, who cares? And also, what do we get a uh, a tie every year? Maybe one a year, one every two years. So it's not like it. It's not like. Do you think that they've they are trying to keep the overtime shorter for player safety? Like so, the guys aren't on the field for so long. Is do you think that maybe factors in? I think so. I think so. I think they. I could see that. Yeah, and that's fine. You know, if you want to make a game. You know, they, they, they made it from 50, uh, 15 minutes to 10 minutes. And, you know, it puts more emphasis on each time you have the ball. You need to maybe it makes them try, like, be more aggressive on your play calling and stuff. I, I don't know. But uh, 
again, it happens like once a year there's a tie. So to me, if you have to go to a second overtime, just do it. You're right. And these, there's only 17 games in a season, and every game matters every so much. Every game is so important, especially those divisional games, the conference games. They all have really important implications. And now they, they are tie breakers, right. literally. And you're adding playoff teams, so you're having more emphasis on home field advantage, the advantage you're getting from that. There's 8,000 different rules in the NFL to break ties at the end of the season and set the seating, and yet they allow senseless ties. Mm-hmm. I've never really thought of it that way until just this moment. But <laughs> yeah, that, that really is it in a nutshell, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm for it. I'm for it. Uh, they also instituted a rule where something it was an eagles proposal where they a team can decline an interview for someone interviewing before the draft for like a junior executive position and this is like a direct response to the giants signing uh, or hiring brandon brown um i think that this is kind of whack because it implies that he was hired solely for his knowledge of the eagles uh, organization um, because that's the basis for preventing for for saying no to this uh, maneuver, um, and and that's kind of stupid because Brandon Brown's a very smart guy, and there's a lot of reasons to hire him. Like for one, we just fired everyone. I mean, that's the best reason right there. I mean, does it really have to be malicious intent to hire him? It's idiotic. I mean, it, it's also the slippery slope. I mean, I can understand coaches because. And and, you know, and GMs for middle, that matter. And if you're in the middle of a playoff run, you want your coaches to be fully focused on the task at hand, you know. But now we're talking about executives, and we're not even talking junior about executives, junior executives, assistant I mean, GM. What's next? Beer vendors can't move teams now until this says my team. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. Um, it's sour grapes, you know. They're you know what they do last year? All they did was troll the Giants. They 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 tanked the last game of the season. You know they 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 picked the guy we want. They traded to pick the guy they wanted ahead of us last year. But when you know the karma goes back on them, they whine and bitch. Oh, hardly yeah, hiring a guy who is a very intelligent person for his. Yeah, I mean like. Sorry, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. We're talking about a league where we're trying to have. You should more have promoted him yourself. I I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. We're talking about a league where they want to have more opportunities for everybody to have jobs in this league. And now you're restricting the potential because now, you know, yeah, you're this guy can't grow because to, to improve themselves and have a better position. They do now. It's not even a lateral thing. So it's yeah. just silly. Yeah. Dumb. Um, I don't really have a strong opinion about that other than it's, I don't see a need for it. I don't see how it I don't see a need anything. for it either. Yeah. And again, it seems like sour grapes. Then it becomes a slippery slope. Like where do you, where does the line stop from junior executives to what middle management to ticket takers to uh, scouts? Know, yeah. Scouts. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, let's get into the edge class here. This is uh, what this episode's real, kind of about. One yeah, last oh, thing ahead, I want ahead. to talk about with the, uh, you know, these meetings and stuff is that Mara, got up there and he had a bunch of comments about different things. Is it just me or should John Marin no longer speak to the media? Should he no longer? Yes. I mean, uh, just, uh, I mean, I feel like he's muddying the waters more than doing any good by actually speaking. I mean, do we, do we near need to hear from owners, especially an owner where, 
he, he's done a lot of public relations damage to this team in, in, in the past few years. They've just hired a brain trust, you know, and given them the keys to the car and said, you know, rebuild this team. And it just, well, I, don't I, think, I think it's I don't I mean, his opinion about whether they're going to trade Saquon Barkley or not, or whether Daniel Jones is a quarterback or not. I know it's probably all nonsense, but it's unnecessary noise that we don't need. Um, I think that John Mayer is not as good at talking to the media as he thinks he is, but I also don't think he's horrendous. Um, it's just, it's one of those things where I don't understand why we're asking him to begin with. Like, why are we asking him what's happening with Daniel Jones? Uh, did he not just hire a general manager to handle the fucking team? Like, yeah, that's he, it. Th- that was the whole thing was that he was going to have autonomy. So what, what are we asking him for? Who cares? Like, right. Why aren't you asking Joe Shane? So, I mean... On the one hand, yeah, he should probably shut his mouth, and he's not that good at talking. He should just, I mean, it's up to him at a certain point to be like, I hired somebody to do all that work, guys. Uh, our stuff is under wraps right now. Um, we're not really looking to do uh, anything that's going to tip our hand. Sorry. You know what I mean? And, and unless, and I don't know, maybe, look, maybe there is some smoke here, right? Maybe they really are honing in on a quarterback and they're trying to throw off the scent. I seriously doubt it. I um, seriously doubt it. John Mara was fine in front of cameras when this team was doing well because nobody asked him anything of any consequence. Once they started <laughs> falling, I'm, I'm being serious. He You're was right. not, he was not a problem in front of cameras when this team was doing well. Everything started to fall apart with like the Josh Brown thing. That was mm-hmm. where everything that came at, and then he's trying to do uh, damage control, and he's just doing more damage. And the more he's had to face the music the more he's become a soundbite. Whereas we never used to hear a peep from John Mara because he would just kind of be smiling and answering fluff questions because the team was in the playoffs. And and it's really easy to say, well, we're going to have to reload. We're going to have to readjust some of our things so we can make it over the hump. Is a much easier answer than having to answer for being well, in the in the dredges. Four, four head coaches in seven years will kind of do that to you too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, the, both both can be true. We should be. Leave, I don't know why we're asking, and also he should shut his mouth. Yeah, I think I we're think only both. asking questions. He's making himself available for questions to be asked. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there's nothing he can do about that. But I mean, it's just not be available to speak. <laughs> it's very simple. You know, when when there's cameras in your face, don't talk. Just you know, wave and you know. I mean, do we? I don't recall. You know, for all 32 teams, do do we hear from? Stan Kroenke on what he thinks about the Rams going to each season? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do, do we do we hear from whoever the managing partner of the Packers is each year talking? No, we don't. No, so do we hear from? Uh, well, I don't know. I, I, I don't Virginia know. McClaskey. We don't hear from her. You know, just, John Mara is also an influential person among owners. So I mean, like he's it, we do hear Jerry Jones's opinion on everything, and he is also another one of those influential owners. Well, he thinks, he, yeah, he's the GM also. So uh, yes, that's also true. Hats. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, we hear from Robert Kraft a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those guys are all influential. Uh, so I mean, their their opinion is more than some of the guys that, or, or I guess they're listened to a little bit more than. Um, other owners around the league. Like we don't really hear from Shad Khan. Well, I guess we do kind of hear from Shad Khan because Jacksonville's always doing crazy stuff. Yeah, but do we hear from him like as far like on a football level? We hear from him about you know, are they going to London or? Not? Yeah, that's a good point. You no know, stadium things. You know, we heard a lot about him at the Urban Meyer situation. But do we hear about you know? Well, Trevor Lawrence, I think he should be starting as a, a rookie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, well, 
those hard-hitting Jacksonville reporters really should uh, get off their ass, I guess, right? <laughs> All right, let's let's talk some uh, edge stuff here. The Giants have a huge needed edge. They've had it for a while. They have started to address it. Um, I think, what was your opinion on Aziz Ojolari by the end of the year? His rookie year, by the way. He's a very young rookie. He's very rookie. Uh, yeah. He sort of ran out of gas towards the end of the year, but that's kind of expected as a rookie, right? Well, they play more games uh, as, yeah, a, as yeah, a professional yeah. than they do in college. I mean, I think I don't think he's ever going to be like that pro ball type of edge, you know, coming off the corner and stuff and being game changing. I definitely think he's a piece for the future that could complement. You know, if we bring in somebody like a real, you know, can't miss guy, like you know, if we draft him in, in one of our two picks now, but a complimentary piece on the other side for sure. Yeah, I I agree with that. He also he he got off to a much faster start than I was expecting as well. I mean, I think where we drafted right. him around fifty was a little bit, a, only a little bit lower than I was actually kind of thought he belonged. Um, but that was a lot lower than a lot of people thought. I, that some people thought he would have been in the first round, you know, and stuff like that. But um, he came right in and, and was getting pressures and sacks right off the bat. Um, with kind of no help on the other side, we didn't really have any edge rushers of any consequence on the other side. Right. Lorenzo Carter got hurt pretty, or uh, was was coming back from injury, you know, whatever. Um, I I agree. I think Aziz Ojolari's future. I do think that he could be a Pro Bowler, but as a result of having other pass rushers besides him, you know, right. having a, an offense that scores a lot of points and allows him to kind of just pin his ears back. I don't think on his own he's going to be that alpha dog, but Correct. he would be an excellent second piece if there is an alpha dog on the other side. Um, and that's kind of our number one guy. Um, after and, that is just um, probably guys that should be depth. And I guess as we get into this, you know, we, we, we both agree that, you know, offensive line is still the number one priority on this team. But Ed Rush, we both agree, is number two. Like yeah, probably. All, yeah. all things considered equal, we would rather draft a a franchise uh, edge rusher than a franchise quarterback, uh, cornerback. Correct. I, as far as the draft goes, well, I don't know. Is edge rusher really our second most important need, or is tight end? I mean, you can make the the there's no there's no you know like top talent tight end there's no first round talent tight end so i mean it's kind of a different argument but they quite literally don't have a starter there whereas they could roll out there with what they've got at edge i know i would i would say if we could get you know a game-changing edge rusher Mm -hmm. is much much more important than a game-changing tight end right right yeah you're probably right yeah it's very very rare that you have to completely game plan for a uh a tight end who you cannot match up. He's a mismatch in everywhere you go and, and completely changes how you look at it in offense where, you know, a dominant edge rusher, a dominant guy who can get tons of sacks, you have to completely game plan for that guy and, and make that mission one. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're splitting hairs here, right? Like, we, mm-hmm. we agree. Like, this team hasn't had an edge presence. The, the defense has suffered for several years in a row because they have not been able to get pressure. They've tried to address it by throwing mm-hmm. money at the position. They went out and they bought um, – uh, uh, oh, my God. Who did, they, who did they spend all that money on in 2016? Uh, the, and he ended up going to Cleveland in the trade anyway. Um, uh, oh, my God. 
whatever, the guy from Miami, Olivier Vernon. Olivier they went out and they yes. signed Olivier Vernon. They, they threw a bunch of money at Jason Pierre-Paul that they couldn't afford at all. And uh, it, it, it kind of worked. You know, at no point was, was Olivier Vernon really putting up huge sack numbers. Um, and, and it's been kind of bad since, since before that and since after that. Um, and it's been the main problem for this defense. Now, you bring up an interesting point about cornerback versus edge. I think that now the league and Wink Martindale's system and the way the defenses are playing, you know, having as many top quality cornerbacks is more important than having top edge rushers. Because, I mean, you can always double up an edge rusher. And there's only so many guys that can consistently beat double teams. Um, but corners that can lock down one-on-one, there's nothing you can really do to get rid of I mean, they pretty much wipe out a receiver. I mean, there's right. very little you can do about that. So, But that said, the draft is much, much, much easier, in my opinion, to find the future stars at edge than it is at corner. Corner seems to be very hit or miss. So I would say corner is probably more important thing to gather as a general rule for the defense. But right now, the, the Giants, they... They should be worrying about edge, and they have a legitimate chance to supplement their edge with one of their two very, very high picks. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of tackles in this draft class. There's a couple of edge rushers that are insanely good. Um, I think Aiden Hutchinson is the best prospect in this draft. He looks like the next coming of TJ Watt to me. Um, he really is incredible. Um, so I think he should go first overall. And then, you know, you've got a couple of tackles that are really good. Somebody's probably going to want a quarterback. Kyle Hamilton might be in that mix. Uh, uh, Ahmad Gardner might be in that mix. That would push somebody down like Kayvon Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, uh, you know, Tibbs has his own Flaws, but as far as a player goes on the field, he is something we haven't had in quite a long time, and he mm. could slip to us at five or seven. He's got the right balance of height, weight, speed. Um, he never takes a playoff. He's a super high motor guy. Um, he even you know is used in coverage sometimes effectively at Oregon, so he can drop back and cover guys into his zone. Um, and he can occasionally he can even turn and run with running backs up onto like wheel routes and stuff like that. I mean, he's an athletic guy. He's super fast off the line of scrimmage. He he gets after the quarterback. I mean, it, it just he is somebody that the Giants haven't had in a long time. I would compare him to somebody. Cl- I mean, I'm not really good at these com- uh, <laughs> comparisons or whatever. But in terms of production, somebody close to that JPP level of 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 production. Um, so what are, what is the what's the knock on him then? The knock on him comes from an interview he did, and I'm not sure when it happened, um, but they kind of highlighted why he chose Oregon over Alabama, and he was kind of going into the specifics of life after football. And what he was trying to say was that he was trying to set himself up for the most success he could possibly have. Whereas he goes to Alabama, he might be sitting for a couple of years behind other guys and only gets the one chance to show himself for for you know whatever. And he um, was also kind of talking about Nike and their role with Oregon and how he's already setting up that thing. And, and but it it kind of sounded almost like he was worrying more about himself than football. 
And it was really the way he worded and phrased things. He kind of sounded like a doofus. Now, me personally, I listened to that and I can see the criticism and I can understand it. And I think that you could probably resolve that with some good interviewing. You know, that's yeah, what that... these things are for, the combine. I mean, if you listen to it, he sounds kind of like an idiot. Um, and But he also said at the combine he was asked, you know, uh, about some of the questions he had. And he pointed out the Giants were asking him questions, things like, how are you going to feel when the media is dogging you because you don't have any sacks yet? You know, and, and asking him these questions about how he's going to react to the perception of him um, outside of the locker room, not the coaches, the public. Um, and he had to kind of give an answer that sounded pretty good to me that he was he was, you know, he was bred for this, the, the you know, the interviews and all that stuff. Like he, he's been in the national spotlight since high school and he's able to handle it is what he, Look, what he said in that scenario. This is the NFL. This is not the debate team. <laughs> I'm serious. You know, yeah, this is right. a classic example of overthinking something where, you know, you can look at film from when he's in high school. You can look at every snap that he plays, you know, playing in a major uh, college in a major conference. Okay, the Pac-12 is a major conference. I'll concede that. Uh, You can watch him at, you know, at the combine. You can watch, you know, senior bowls and all these different things. And you have all this evidence, all these data points, all of these anecdotal things, all of these trends, all of that. But then he says something stupid. And all of a sudden, everything else you've seen doesn't matter anymore. Um, I personally have no problem with what he said because more of these guys should be thinking about their long-term, you know, situation. Because you know, the an NFL career more often than not, these guys who come out as like a, you know, a, a five-star recruit out of, of high school, a lot of them never even see the NFL. They flame out. You know, you come in, you get hurt. You never make that. You never get to that big contract. You never get to those big endorsement deals. So I have, I have a zero problem for what he said. Uh, can he be more articulate about it? Huh? Maybe, but you know, again, don't give him classes on that. He's, who cares? On at the end well, of the yeah. day, I mean. Oh the, come on! Well, look, I I I agree with you. Said about him are more important. You said mm-hmm. has a motor. Yeah. You know, no, he yeah, definitely. It's definitely the effort on the field is not in question. Yeah. So if, if all those things are true, all right, fine. Send him to charm school. Send him out of that to answer questions. So you can give the bullshit answers that the stock answers that you know. Yeah. People have it's, it's crazy and it's it's unfair and I wonder the motives behind people saying these things. You know. So I think I, I mean I think that the motives are are more. Um, generated to just force discussion when there shouldn't be. I mean, like, it's such a consensus guy that he was going to go top five. I, and so it it starts controversy. And I think the just, problem is there's too much time between the, end of the, <laughs> yeah. between the end of the Super Bowl and the draft. And I think we have so much focus now on the draft. You know, this is, you know, 20 years ago, this is not an issue. But now, you know, when you have NFL Network, you have, you know, ESPN, you have all of us. You know, and, and the, the the incredible focus on the draft in these the, things. The pin that, drop gets magnified. Yeah, it's like this. Are you getting extra clicks if you have the same mock draft every week? Yeah. You know, if you know, if there's kind of a consensus in something, what what what? Who cares? Yeah. So I I just think it's a product of you need a story. You know, we need to say have a different angle, and there's just too much time that you just have to have new stories. So. 
Um, I agree with everything you said. I don't really have an issue with his interview at all. Uh, I don't really care. Um, but I will say that coming here, it just is what it is. I mean, like every detail of every question and answer is is scrutinized here where it's just not other places and i wish it weren't that way because i think it's silly and it forces us to talk about things i don't care about what, what do you mean by here here in new here, york here in the new york area okay but are, are these criticisms by giants beat writers or is this a national thing no it's a national thing but i'm, I'm just saying like how he answers questions to the media is Important from a front office perspective because it keeps the conversation on football if he can answer questions in a way. Well, you, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is a pressure cooker like nowhere else in the country where which is stupid. I hate that. I know that, but it's just the the intense interest of the fans, the intense competition of the media in this mm-hmm. market. I mean, now this it's not the same. It's not how it was 20 years ago. There were three newspapers fighting and you know sports radio fighting. There's all different methods of communication, but there's always going to be that intense interest that's here. So that's part of the territory. But let's keep it focused on, you know, not being a- answered questions opposed to like the way he answered something about a hypothetical how he views what's his worldview based on an answer, as opposed to, you know becoming antagonistic with the, the media, be, make it become his enemy instead of his ally and having the, the media you know, turn against you. That, that's two separate things as well. I, I think it's stupid as hell. Um, yeah. But, but I mean, he, the point is, is that now Kayvon Thibodeau is a legitimate possibility at five or seven for the Giants. Um, right now, it looks like five would be the spot we would have to take him. Um I would feel good about Kayvon Thibodeau on this team, (laughs) (laughs) to say the least. Oh, of course. But the question is, if we're at five and he's available, do you risk not getting that offensive lineman you want if he's available, if Evan Neal's available, uh, to take him? Um, I I don't know because I don't – right now I'm focused really on just like the prospects. So when I study like other teams' needs, I think it would depend on – what the Panthers need at six and what nearby teams need that would trade up to six to jump us at seven. Because there is only that one spot between our two picks. Um, I I mean, I I don't know the answer to that right now. I, I will say that if we don't come out of this draft with an edge rusher, but we came out with the best tackle possible, I'll feel okay. If we came out of this draft with the best edge rusher, but we didn't come out of here with a starting tackle, I'm going to feel like I don't want to go to any home games this year. With that said, there there are possible starting tackles that do not need to be drafted in the top 10, as a disclaimer, just saying that. Um, This is our our opportunity, like we drafted Andrew Thomas, to get someone who can be a a, a stallard on this line for years to come and mm-hmm. we may not have that opportunity again i feel you know and, and let's put this I, I think you can get a a competent edge rusher who can do the job lower down you may not be able to get that as much with having getting an elite tackle right and speaking directly of that trading down one of those two picks is a legitimate possibility so 
Um, if the Giants find themselves out of the top 10 but still before 20, somebody I would consider in that range is someone from your least favorite school of all time, Florida State University, Jermaine Johnson. Um, I was skeptical about Jermaine Johnson going into the Senior Bowl um, just based on his frame. He just looked like he was going to be a speed-only guy. He is an extremely high-effort guy that is actually pretty good run defender as well. I think that with his blazing speed off the edge would actually pair really well with the Zizo Jolari. Um, he will need to work on adding some weight and getting a little better against the run. I mean, playing against the ACC, your competition kind of flip-flops between insane and, and you know, not, not that Yeah, hard. It, it, it's a, it's a top-heavy league with the, with the best of the best. And, that, yeah. and it drops off pretty quickly. Yeah, so I mean, like, he... he you know, Boston College was kind of was kind of hard. <laughs> a lot of really good offensive linemen up there. Um, other other schools, not so much. Um, but one of the things that jumps off for me right away is that he uses his hands a lot more than most other guys, and that's like one of those things that you don't see as much at the college level. And that's the biggest difference between the NFL guys is keeping hands off of your body so that you can continue your rush. And a lot of these guys, you'll see, they just they lock they lock on a lot and they're just kind of one arming and doing that kind of thing. Jermaine Johnson has really active hands, always keeping hands off of his body while he continues his rush. And it's why he's much more successful than most other guys. Jermaine Johnson on this team, if we trade it down, I think might even be the most ideal situation. I mean, if if you have that that opportunity to get Evan Neal, let's just say, at pick five and trade seven down to, I don't know, I'm picking a number out of hat, mm-hmm. 13, 14, and you get Jermaine Johnson, you've pretty much done as good as you can really get and you've gotten extra assets in and, that trade down as and well. And it might be, and it's more and more of a possibility every day that, you know, like a James Bradbury is not traded yet because, you know, yeah. they may just defer paying. You know, let's say we make the we we trade down and we get a first round pick next year or something, mm-hmm. where we can afford to you know pay all these rookies and stuff. It just may become a question of economics that we have to trade down too. So that likelihood of going down, I think, is more than people think it is, and it's not. It's not just for accumulating talent. I think it's to have to pay for all this stuff. Yeah, somebody else had brought that up to me, and I had not considered that originally, um, but a- absolutely true. Um, real quick, um, David Ojabo, the other Michigan edge rusher, um, not as good as Aiden, H- Aiden Hutchinson, but fringe round one, round two talent, probably mm-hmm. would have gone in, I would say, from like pick 15 somewhere down. I'm not really totally sure because at his pro day, he tore his Achilles, uh, which obviously is going to plummet his draft stock. But he's a young guy. He can return from injury a little bit more than somebody who's you know in his upper 20s. How far would he have to fall for you to take a chance on him, A, with the current Giants roster, and B, just as a general rule? Pretty far. Okay. Be- because to me... You can't miss on a draft pick, and especially a high draft pick in the situation we're in right now. These guys have to hit. And will he completely recover? Hopefully, but it's added risk. And it just decreases the chance for it hitting. So, you know, if he fell quite a bit and he's still there, take a shot at him, sure. But I'd be very skeptical of taking him high because I need these guys – to hit I need the best chance for them to hit I 100% agree with you um 
for the Giants right now, he's just completely off my board. Um, and it's a shame because I really like the guy. I was actually hyping him up a couple months ago, um, hoping to really highlight him in this episode, and that sucks. Someone will take a, ch- someone will take a chance. Someone Some will take team. a chance on him, yeah, absolutely. And also a team that probably can. It's a, a luxury pick. To go for it and, yeah. and go with the higher ceiling and you know, worry it's about that. A, a team that already has a good edge rush that – probably has a guy who's about to come off his contract and mm-hmm. hit it big somewhere or has some giant payment in his next in ne- next year or, or in two years he's going to have a huge cap hit so that they can replace him and hack him like off. Like the Rams? Maybe on the cheap. A team like that? Sure. Or even Tampa Bay. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, those are luxury picks. And Right now the Giants, I don't think they can risk it at all. They, they will nope. get zero return on him this year zero return and then what they do get is a complete question mark they're just not in a position to take that chance in my opinion it just can't happen absolutely um dipping into the second round i'm going to highlight someone that a lot of people uh, a lot of fans of a lot of teams are really into and that's georgia pass rusher um trayvon walker he really plays kind of all over the place so it's hard to pinpoint really where he belongs to me, he looks like he belongs more on the defensive line. I think he plays a little bit better with his hand in the dirt, and I think that he can move along in there. Um, he's a little bit light to be, you know, real obvious that he's a hand in the dirt guy. You know Let what me, I mean? Stop one second. So that's the second time you've highlighted somebody that you know is a little light. How much is that a concern for you? I mean, Georgia is one of the best programs with strength and conditioning, nutrition, all of that. Well, he's but... only a little light. I mean, for for a full time hand in the dirt guy, you can kind of tell. But he's two hundred and seventy two pounds, so he can. He to me doesn't look. Uh, I mean, maybe he is. Maybe he. Okay, but me. He my, could my be question. a full time guy in the dirt already. Also, oh, my yeah. Question he, is, uh, you know, how concerning is that for you going forward? Like when you get to an NFL strength and conditioning program, you know, an NFL. You know, uh, he's worrying full time about you know his what he's eating and all these different things. So, if he's a little light, is that something you really concern about, or is it just give him a year in the program? Nah, a little light, a little heavy. Those are things that I mention only to highlight their effectiveness in year one. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to be. It would be very unlikely for them to put on say ten pounds of muscle between the combine. And the beginning of their first season, when they're mm. now they're you know in practice, they're not really worrying about bulking up. They're staying in shape, and they're in meetings, and they're doing practice and all that stuff. Um, but as we always, but as we always say, we don't draft people for the now. We draft right. We don't for draft there for the now. But I mean that that's sort of to say when I say he's a little light, that generally means that he will get better than his original year. I mean like. By simple things such as just getting in shape. You know what I mean? Like getting it to the NFL level of shape. And a lot of these guys are a little light because they needed to be faster in college than they needed to be heavy. But right. that said, Trayvon Walker is 272 pounds. So I, I guess he – yeah, he, he would probably be – he could be a full-time guy on the defensive line as opposed to a stand-up rusher. That said, he's insanely fast. Really, really fast. Really, really strong. He's got a nice NFL body at 6'5", 270. So he can move around in a lot of different places. He's really strong at the point of attack. To me, if the Giants were considering this guy, I would say almost more like a Leonard Williams replacement. Mm -hmm. Less so than playing opposite Aziz Ojolari. I would say he would be kind of that guy. Or maybe even, uh, yeah, more of a Leonard Williams replacement. Um 
He's got that length where he can kind of play, I guess, like the five technique and stuff like that more along the line, but also has that versatility where he can stand up and be effective as well. And he would be a lot cheaper than Leonard Williams. He might be the most expensive guy on the roster. Yeah, he, I believe he is. Definitely cap-wise, he is. Um, that's kind of how I view Trayvon Walker. But he's a difficult prospect to really nail down. That said, I don't think that he belongs in the discussion anywhere near the top 10 where I'm seeing crazy shit like that. I don't, I don't see that. I could see him going in the first round. But to me, where I grade his actual talent is the upper side of round two. Okay, and you know something, if we... Well, I mean, like, how would you feel if that was what they did? Instead of getting an edge rusher, they kind of got the next Leonard Williams that's maybe a little bit smaller, but maybe a little bit faster as well. I mean, we're talking about replacing Leonard Williams after, you know, what, his replacement when he has three years left, four years? I mean, do we think he's going to be on the roster for the full term of his contract? Probably not. Well, not, but I think it was more of a... A likelihood if the old regime had stayed but now that we've got new guys coming in i think it's likely that he's not right but maybe they the in year three of the contract or four i don't think anytime soon so i i don't know if i want again talk about luxury picks planning for his successor through two three four years down the line that's a luxury pick well, I mean, I think he adds value, though. I'm, I'm saying, like, he can be a stand-up rusher, and he can do stuff year one and be the eventual replacement. He can just kind of slide into a uh, a, a more robust, maybe a different role uh, next year, the year after. You know do what I mean? Wanna, so if he's a second-round pick, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to pay him at a certain scale, that's even more money you're paying for that that position, kind of. I think that's a short-sighted way to look at it. Again, you can use him and Leonard Williams at the same time in different roles, and then as a year goes by, transition him into that Leonard Williams role and then jettison Williams. I don't know the exact structure of Leonard Williams, if that's feasible next year or the year after that or whatever. I'm just saying I think that he can kind of fill both roles um, at one time, do one, and then uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's not I, I think I think you've answered. Right? You wouldn't feel that great about it. That's, yeah, that's a fair really. answer. I, 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 I would feel less good about it. I think yeah. Leonard Williams is nailed down for a couple of years. We should just use him while we're paying him. Exactly. Yeah, I think I'd try to go more for a, a, just a straight up rusher than than, than that. Um, because there'll be plenty of guys in the second round that we could pick that's you know specializes more in that than you know a hybrid guy like that. That's true. And and. You know, for that matter, you know, I said before, if we if we come out of the first round without an edge rusher, we'll be okay. There's other edge rusher guys mm-hmm. um, as well. Um, they they are a step down, but they're not a total disaster. Um, and some guys that I do like, um, D'Angelo Malone from Western Kentucky, who was someone who was not at all on my radar, then was at the Senior Bowl, and it was Justin that was telling me about him because I wasn't watching uh, the one day. Uh, we were just watching different possession position groups, um, and he was saying that this guy from Western Kentucky was just blowing it up over there. And you know, we looked at him as D'Angelo Ballone and whatever. Um, super, super fast. Looks really fast. I, I, I like his bend around the edge. I think that he's pretty good run defender. Um, you know, he's not perfect, but you know, another one of these guys that's going to be a high effort guy. I'm not. I'm never going to highlight a guy that's not like a high motor guy. It's one of those traits that I just I seek and destroy. You know what I mean? Um, 
It looks like he has the ability where he can drop back into coverage. I just He looks good rushing the passer. He looks comfortable. He looks natural. He just understands how to use his body really well already. And I think, you know, the step up from Western Kentucky coaching to NFL coaching can only do wonders for this kid. Sure. What are his size measurements? 6'3", 243 pounds. So, again, you know, there's a 30-pound difference between him and Trayvon Walker. So, 240 is not horrible. I'd like him to be up closer to 250, Mm -hmm. um, somewhere in that range. But, again, we're talking about, like, 7 pounds or so. He could add add a bit of muscle and be effective this year and, you know, just get better next year. 6'3", height's fine. Height's okay. Um, 6'3 is, is enough length to, to use to your advantage, especially as a stand-up guy. If he were a hand-in-the-dirt guy, um, you know, one of those like 4-3 defensive ends or, um, you know, or like a 5 technique like a Leonard Williams, you'd want him closer 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", somewhere mm-hmm. in that range. But he's not really that guy. And 6'3", 6'4", 6'2", those are acceptable measurements for the kind of stand-up guy, in my opinion. Um, obviously still the longer the better because you can kind of right. use that length to keep guys off of your body but mm-hmm. more and more we're seeing the stand-up guys because they're not getting their hands on them immediately that length doesn't matter as much um, lastly in round three maybe there might be somebody um, I'm not really sure where he's going to fall to me he could be round two talent maybe he's round three talent um, and it's Oklahoma linebacker Nick Benito. Um, I didn't really, I guess, have any expectations for him. I was just kind of doing my due diligence, and I was just surprised. He really kind of jumped off of the uh, off the film for me. I'm trying to pull up my notes while I'm stalling here. Can you tell? <laughs> there they are. Found it. I had to scroll through a bunch. Um, and 6'3", 248, he actually looks like he could – kind of align in multiple different ways, but he's going to be probably more of a stand-up guy in a 3-4. He uses his length to his advantage pretty well. Um, He really just has a great first step off the line and a good speed to follow it up. He has an effective, effective speed rush. But one of the things I highlighted before is like the huge difference between the college guys and the NFL guys is hand fighting. Right now, he has like no hand fighting moves at all. He has strong hands, but they're not active enough. Um, so he's really just kind of That's winning. Coachable though, right? It's it's definitely coachable. It's just one of those things where you will see the guys who have more success year one are the guys who come in with that skill set already. The other guys you see that ramp up in their you know career. The first couple of years you see them getting better and better and better as they both add the necessary weight into the right scheme. They take to NFL coaching and the the complexity of the NFL game and. Those nuances, those extra steps and those hand-fighting things, the little wiggles at the top of their routes and all those kind of things, the guys that come in with those, they obviously start off better. That's why we're talking about a guy like Nick Benito in the second, third round. Um, And I honestly think if the Giants are going to be picking anywhere further in the draft than the third round, that they're not really going to be getting anything at all that's going to help at this point because they already do have a ton of depth at the edge position, right? They need a break. They need a standout guy. They, they need, a, need guy a standout guy. Yeah. They need someone that's better than Quincy Roche. It would be ideal if they got somebody better than Aziz Ojolari. Mm-hmm. Um, Makes sense. I, uh, after really going through Kayvon Thibodeau's film, is 
I am actually really excited. There's a chance that we could have a legitimate edge rush again. That's the, that's how. I, how are you feeling about this position in the draft for this team? I mean, we're set up that we can we can get that guy for sure. Um, again, I think it's just going to come down to their big board and you know who they like better. You know, I they are both you know the two biggest needs we we think on this team alone. You know. We talked about cornerback, but we've also addressed what we would do about that. But, uh, you know, I I think we've done enough on the offensive line is like stop gaps that, you know, do we have to get the very best offensive line when available? Can we wait to seven to get that guy as opposed to five? I feel a little better about it. Well, I mean, um, of course, it depends on how one through four falls. Exactly. I mean, if, if there's exactly. two guys falling there, if the two best guys are just still there, if, I mean, you might as well just wait till seven and get Thibodeau. Yeah, I mean, if it's me, all things considered equal, I'd still go for the lineman over the edge rusher. If they pick an edge rusher over it first, I'm not going to be fighting mad about it, but we better come up with a – we better get a, a, a lineman. You know, yeah, it seems like every year we talk our, we we talk ourselves out of getting a good lineman every year. We need a, we uh, yeah, we we need a lineman. I mean, that's the name <laughs> of the game. That's you know, that's gotten a GM basically fired is because we never really addressed the offensive line. That's a good point. It's what, you know, it's been stressed. I mean, it's, it's what obvious. got a head coach fired to be honest. I mean, do we think that Tom Coughlin would still be here if Jerry Reese and Mark Ross had addressed the offensive line? Probably, yeah. Potentially, he'd have been a little longer. Well, maybe, maybe maybe not still here. Sorry, it's been several years now. Yeah, he would have retired on his terms and maybe a little longer. And maybe, maybe, you know, Eli Manning, the question, is he a Hall of Famer or not, is easily more addressed if they fix the offensive lineman. And it's no doubt about it. That's an interesting way to look at it. But, I mean, the final third of Eli's career is, eh, an old man running for his life. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, something there's if the offensive line is dressed properly, you know, his you know Hall of Fame credentials are definitely strengthened. Also just his overall effectiveness is is, you know, he doesn't end up a career with the same amount of touchdowns and interceptions. He doesn't end his career, you know, not making the playoffs, you know, only one time in the final X amount of years. So I, I think that, uh, you know, wiping the slate clean and starting over with a whole new front office, a whole new coaching staff, this is the opportunity to right a wrong that's happened with this franchise for a decade. And if they come away, you know, if we're having a conversation on Friday morning that we didn't draft an offensive lineman. Oh, man. The public relations nightmare, as well as the you know, the negative effect of rebuilding this team is going to be felt and felt very swiftly. I, I am far too exhausted to really think about draft day reactions to bad picks right now. <laughs> I, could, I, I just, I don't have the energy to even fathom the, the situation where we draft somebody stupid. Oh man, that would, I, I'm just, I'm not mentally <laughs> there yet. I haven't gotten there yet, but that was a fabulous way to end our edge conversation talking about linemen. Um, but I think you're 100% right. Uh, to me, protect as much as I'm excited about the possibility of having, like, not a once in a lifetime, but a legit alpha dog edge rusher mm-hmm. to pair with a legit number two edge rusher for that matter in a mm-hmm. blitz heavy, pass rush heavy scheme. 
that gets me really excited. But more than anything, I know that this game is about scoring points, and that means keeping your quarterback upright, and it's something we just are not equipped to do right now. And especially in a year where we have to make a decision about a quarterback. This yeah. going to change the trajectory of this uh, franchise. And whether, but, but whether that – we we have to make a decision on, you know, potentially two quarterbacks. You know, if you if you move on from Jones, you have to make a decision on another guy that you're going to select, and that guy mm-hmm. needs to be put in a situation where he can succeed and That's not true. be put in the situation that Daniel Jones was in, where he's constantly flipping through coaches. He's got a rotating offensive line. He's got a rotating offensive line coach. Uh, schemes are constantly changing. I mean, nothing was done to help that guy. So, I mean, whether you're helping Daniel Jones or not, you've got to help your quarterback You've got to build the infrastructure for whoever QB1 is going to be going forward. Yeah. You know, but it, it starts, you know, it starts with making that, make, can we make, do we have all the data that we need to make the decision on Daniel Jones? That, that's going to be priority one. And right. giving him the best possible offensive line, you know, giving him all the, all the, all the weapons to, to, to work with it's all needs to be there to make that accurate assessment. I agree. Because it's it's going to impact next year's draft as well. It, and, it's going to uh, impact everything. I mean, this yeah. is a long-term plan mm-hmm. um, and that's where they're at. So you got to think long-term. Um, so that's going to do it for this one. Um, be sure to follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump. I do talk a little bit more in depth about prospects. I have more time to talk about, so that's a good place to follow me. And you can follow him at the cranky fan. Where uh, what are you talking about over there? Oh, we got uh, the lightning playoff push. The Knicks have won four in a row. You know, I'm making fun of OJ. You know, all sorts of stuff this week. Lots, lots going on. Yeah, all right. And, of course, uh, you know, this show is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, The Works, as well as YouTube, where it is best experienced, in my opinion. So be sure to subscribe there and uh, leave some cool comments. Hey, Grumpy, you know what we didn't do in this episode, which I'm pretty proud of? What's that? The the gratuitous joke about uh, Chris Rock and... uh, I'm not talking... I don't And Will Smith. Good job. I'm not doing it, man. I... Nice work. I'm I'm ending this episode before we get into it. All right. We'll we'll catch you guys next time. Go Giants. Go Giants.